Welcome back to The People Show. Randeep Janda, Israel Fair, Eddie Gregory, welcoming you back on the airwaves on a Monday. You know, Mondays can be kind of rough when you're going back to work, the weather is nice, maybe you've indulged in one too many drinks over the weekend. Mondays can be rough, but I'm not going to lie, today, for our live listeners, we're on air starting at 2 o'clock today. Yep. Just easing into the weekend. Just, you're not running around like we do in the morning when you got to do like a bunch of things. It's just so much more chill when you can roll into work, like, got here at noon. Yep. You can, you know, walk in like Izzy wearing your flip-flops, <laughs> like summer vacation. It's just a different vibe, like coming into work in the afternoon. I just, I, I missed it. It's been a while since I did that. Usually as you're running around grabbing a coffee. Not, not, not today, man. No, you got time. Everything's just, you know, slightly more drawn out. Exactly. But we're going to be uh, on with you till 6 p.m. today. Uh, last hour, if you missed it, go download. Make sure you subscribe. Hit us with five-star rating, reviews, all of that good stuff. And last hour, we talked about center depth in the Pacific Division, specifically. Nazem Kadri basically saying, hey, top to bottom, I feel like we have the best center group in the league, he said. How does the Vancouver Canucks, the Edmonton Oilers, Vegas Golden Knights, and the Calgary Flames, how do they stack up? If you missed that conversation, go check it out on the podcast. Leads me to the the next conversation we want here when it comes to hockey players and the ones that we're looking at for the 2022-2023 season. Specifically when it comes to Canadian teams. Which Canadian team star has the most to prove this season? And I think Nazem Kadri, the guy that had the quote, is very high on that list. He's a guy that is been given 49 million. He put up points last year playing on a a stacked Colorado Avalanche team, ends up winning the Stanley Cup. He's going to be on a new look team which he's going to be able to mold kind of that culture there as well as being a guy that won a Stanley Cup. Now is he is he probably the person that you're looking at or, or are you going in a different direction because I feel like with Nazem, he's got the big money now. He's got essentially a 50 million dollar deal. And he's got the pedigree of being, I'm a cup champion. Calgary has not won anything. Let me take you to the promised land to a certain degree. That's going to be part of the narrative. I'm, I'm looking north in Alberta. Okay. Because that team, in doing shows through the summer and asking people, okay, look, we think the Avs are the favorite. And that's, you're not going to find anybody, I think, unless it's a, a real hot take, that's not going to at least pay respect to Colorado and say they're the team to beat in the West. But when you ask, okay, Who's the challenger? I've heard, without fail, Edmonton. And so I look at Jack Campbell, who's the guy. Look, Mike Smith was a polarizing player, and we saw why in the playoffs. But the way that he played down the stretch and the way that he played, the numbers that he put up for them when they won games in the playoffs, it was a high bar. Yes, the inconsistency was incredible. And some of the goals that he gave up, there's a reason that Mike Smith is... I don't know if he's number one, but he's in the conversation in recent memory, meme players, like yep. guys that get memed on hockey Twitter. Jack Campbell is not that. Jack Campbell is a guy that in Toronto, getting the opportunity to be a starter, incredibly hard on himself. They, they would like be up 3 nothing, and he'd give up a late goal, and his interview after the game would basically be like, I screwed up, this should have been a shutout. And say, so, hey, you still won. Like the Leafs were a hundred plus point team last year. <laughs> like they they were they were a hundred ten plus point team last year. And this guy was being really hard on himself. And he had he started the season really well, dealt with an injury, a little bit inconsistent. 
yes, now he's going to Edmonton, and it's not it's not like he's stepping in for a legend, but he's stepping in for a player that when he played well, the numbers were sparkling, like like nine forty save percentage, and he did that over more than just a few games. He signs a pretty big deal. And the expectations are on that team. We're not that far removed from people going, when's Connor McDavid going to ask to be traded? This team's a mess. Things change for them in the second half. And if they're really going to be the challenger to Colorado, and we just saw that series and they were nowhere close to the Avs. I know the Avs have lost some pieces, Kadri included. But that's a guy that's going to need to be the backstop because they've paid for it. And you look at, you talk, we talked about it a little bit earlier with Vegas. Okay, you know, no Leonard. What will they do with that position? It's true of everybody. You lose your goalie, you're going to be in trouble. They've invested in this goalie. They've gone out and said, this is the guy that we need. We're going to pay him on a long-term deal. If he struggles at all, then the questions all ultimately go, okay, well, what what is this team? You know, Stuart Skinner's really going to be the guy that's going to be uh, a team that's the challenger to Colorado? That That's hard to see. Well, the expectation now in Edmonton is progress, right? Where you did take that step, you beat the arch rivals, the Flames get worked in that series, and what happens? Yes, you run into Colorado, but there's an expectation now that, okay, there was progress last year, they took that step, goaltending will help them get that much better. McDavid's got a supporting cast. Defensively, huge questions there. Can Darnell Nurse be that player? Can he be more consistent? We know he was injured in the playoffs. Don't expect him to be that bad, but still, man, nine plus million is still nine plus million. You gotta, you gotta try to live up to that contract. But goaltending, come playoff time, huge stress position, huge. And with your point about Campbell being very hard on himself, very tough on himself, Jacob Markstrom used to be like that in Vancouver, and he still is in Calgary. Even though the team in front of him, I remember his days here in Vancouver, especially because we covered the team closely. Yep. The team in front of him was far from perfect. This guy was stealing games left, right, and center, but he would also say, hey, I should have had it. Yeah, even yeah, though, yeah, he could be intense post-game. Even though he would get, the team would get worked 5-on-5 five five, or maybe give up goals on the PK or all of that, Markstrom didn't necessarily play the blame game, but he would take it internally and say, no, I got I to gotta help my team on that. And Campbell, slightly different tone, not as fiery as Jacob No, Markstrom. it's not the same intensity. It internalizes it a little bit more, which how do you... You know, Toronto was one experience. And mm-hmm. first half of last year, remember, he was in the Vesna conversation. He was. He was lights out. Yeah, like 930 safe percentage. They're playing well. He was playing really well. We're talking about who's, when we thought NHL players might go to the Olympics. Oh, it's, you know, him and Thatcher Demko for, for Team USA. Mm-hmm. Is that, and then eventually, you know, would if they had gone, hypothetically, Thatcher Demko separated himself yep. from Campbell. And of course, goalies don't really face each other in the sense, but like that's going to be something that people are going to watch in the Pacific. Is he going to be at Markstrom's level, the, the level that we know Markstrom can play yeah. at, and the level that Demko played at last year? We've seen it in spurts, but of those three teams, Edmonton's got the highest expectations, and like that's part of the thing with Kadri is I agree with everything that you said and the way that you laid it out, but the one asterisk is. For as well as they did in recovering after losing Goudreau and Kachuk, if they have anywhere close to a repeat year, people would take it. It's not like he's necessarily coming into Calgary with, we need to be like we were last year. Of course, that's going to be their own expectation. Brad Tree Living didn't make all of these moves and and fill out the roster just so they would have uh, a step back. 
But I, you fans across the league, us in the media, we're looking at them and going, hey, they still got some pieces. If he can lift them a little bit, that's a huge win. So it's not like, hey, you need to maintain, you need to be a team that's going to be 100-plus points and, and at the time heading into the playoffs. I keep saying this, but like it's true. Yeah. Analysts everywhere were going, I think Calgary's better suited for the playoffs than Colorado. I was one of those. I thought Calgary was going to run roughshod over the Western Conference based on the way they're built. But with Kadri, the regular season to me matters, but it kind of does not in the sense that if you're Calgary and you're a top three team in the Pacific, you care. These changes were made in mind with the playoffs where they're not going to be a team that likely that top line puts up 115 points again. Like Hubert, he can do it. But I'd like to see how he, you know, functions in a Daryl Sutter lineup. That's a big question mark for me. I, we don't know. But with Calgary, with Kadri, you're saying, hey, put up your points during the regular season, play within the system, but come playoff time. It's your time to shine. It's your time to shine. Mackenzie Weger, another player that you look at and say, that move was made with the playoffs in mind. What happened last time? The injuries on the back and Chris Tanev being injured yeah. absolutely hurt that team like no other injury because there was nobody else that could defend McDavid. There's nobody else that could, you know, fill that role. So now you have a another defenseman on the right hand side that gives you that much more depth. So even though we're focusing on the regular season, I think Kadri's gonna have to prove in the playoffs what he can do. So that's why I think you know. To me, he's not necessarily the most. I think there's a case to be made. I think Huberto is in an interesting spot. Getting $84 million. Yeah, he got his contract. He's a franchise player. He's paid like a franchise player. But he has not been a franchise player in Florida. That was Sasha Barkov's. Yeah, definitely. He was the captain. He was the guy that kind of the straw that stirred the drink. This is Huberto's first experience of being the guy. Going to put up his points, but when you're a guy, you're the guy... Coming into a Canadian team, it's different. You go from having that country club feel in Florida where there's one or two media members out there covering <laughs> a practice, yeah. and now you're going to go to scrums that have like 20 people in them. You're going to have four or five cameras. You're going to have probably reporters upwards of 10 to 12, potentially, depending how many outlets are covering your, your team. Yeah, it's, if it's a Battle of Alberta National Saturday media. game. Absolutely. you got a lot of different eyes and a and for as intense as we saw, in the, at least in the playoffs, Florida, Tampa, Edmonton, Calgary, Saturday night in the season, it's 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 different. So that's why, you know, if I'm picking one guy from Calgary, it's not Kadri. I think Kadri's going to have to show that in April, May, June. I think Huberto, there's going to be an expectation offense has to come from And they need lineup. the points. They need the points, and he's the guy to bring those points. And now he's also paid, like, one of the best paid players in the NHL. Right. Where that's the guy that's going to deliver the relationship between him and Daryl Sutter. There's no, there's no issues. Essentially, we don't, we don't know of any. He's hasn't played a game for Daryl Sutter. But at the same time, when you're dropped into a lineup that's coached by Daryl Sutter, there's always the question of, are you a Daryl Sutter guy? Or are you not? We don't know about that about Huberto yet. We don't <laughs> until he hits the ice. And his metrics are defensively not the best. Yeah. And Barkov is amazing defensively, and the metrics bear that out. And he had the benefit of rolling with that. It's it's going to be a different equation. It, it'll be. You know, I'm fascinated by Calgary because you looked at 
the team that was built there to play in Daryl Sutter's style, the stars that they had, who evidently didn't want to be there, but the stars that they had that rose to that level, the depth on defense, the goaltending, you are correct that Huberdeau, like there's there's a ton of points that left that lineup, and he is the one that's supposed to be 90-plus point guy and a playmaker, and maybe he's going to score some goals as well. And it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. And he got paid. It's not like he has to prove himself or even the thought of, oh, he, he might not want to stay in Calgary. He's going to want to have a monster season and sign elsewhere. No, he's been taken care of already. Yeah, he signed that contract before he ever got to Calgary as a Calgary Flames player. Remember, that was signed before he had, he's made a trip to the city. Yeah. So he, he signed. He got all the money he wanted. We got this text coming in. Kadri is the next Erickson 7x7 seven seven career year, big contract. Basically saying not going to be able to live up to the expectation. Hey, it could happen numbers wise. That might be the best career, best season that Cadre has. I'd like. I'd probably bet on that. Eighty-seven points. And I know he got injured. Mm-hmm. It's tough to replicate that when you're, you know, going to th- turn thirty-three. Right. So it's not a, not a, not a bad bet to make. Uh, we got this one coming in. There's some Canucks content. Jeffro coming in with. Star with the most approved, Brock Besser. Need a bigger point total than the mid-40s. I Brock think Bro- is kind of flying under the radar. Yes. And he signed his deal, and everyone, I think, felt like that was fair. It's not a long-term deal. He gets the three years. We didn't have to have the whole conversation about the qualifying offer. He said all the right things about how difficult last season was, uh, the faith that he has, or the faith that he feels from the organization, and acknowledging that last year the production wasn't there. He wasn't good enough. We saw it in the Canadian division season, the kind of player that he can be. Now, we're we're not talking about him anymore like an absolute first-line star like we were in his rookie season. The bar is more, are you going to be a legitimate top six player that's, I don't know, 50, 50, 60 points? Yeah, so if you're talking about ceiling for a Brock Besser, probably in that 65 to 70 range, like ceiling. Or you're hoping he can hit that level. I I don't want to limit what he can do, but I think there's a, we're talking about a breakout season to hit the next tier. If he does that, you're ecstatic. You're, You're happy with that. You're saying you're taking that jump to the next level. I do think he has to prove something, but we can all acknowledge last year was a tough year for him on and off the ice. And that end of season press conference kind of that summed it up. So yeah. I look at last year, yes, inconsistent, but I can understand why. On a human level, that was a rough, rough year, man. And we know a lot more about Brock Besser now than we did halfway through that year. And we knew what he was going through on the family side of things. When I think about Canucks that have something to prove, it's the guys, you know, we've been mentioning this guy all year long, and we're gonna be mentioning it forever how long, you know, and there's an extension or a, a trade, but I think JT Miller, 99-point season last year, point-per-game player for the last couple of seasons before that as well. He's put up that sample size. But he's got a lot to prove on two fronts. One, if he doesn't get an extension, and if he goes into the year, you're playing for that next contract. Like, you, what you do on a night-to-night basis is going to be held against you, or it's going to prop you up to say, this is why he deserves all the money. Now, if he signs the deal you're definitely going to have something to prove. So either <laughs> yeah. way, JT Miller is going to have to prove something, whether it still be the the JT we know in terms of being a point-per-game player, which I think he is capable of. The question is, I think we can mostly agree that he's going to be that point-per-game player. 
can he be that 90-point player, that 99-point player in that area, in that realm, is going to be the question. And that's whether he signs the contract or not. You know, he might have more incentive and more to prove if he doesn't sign the contract because it's basically say, I'm going to show you why I deserve eight or eight and a half million. I think he's got a lot to prove. And it, on a personal level, you're going to try to justify essentially $50 million here, is he? Yeah. He's got to be number one on the Vancouver Canucks. Yep. And look, it's it's the dynamic of being in Vancouver and what the Canucks are putting his value at. Because last year, the way that he played was, for the most part, especially once the team turned it around, you know, he did it at a super, super high level. Um, and the production that he had, like uh, I'm just pulling up Tomas Hurdle's contract that he signed last season, uh, an, an eight-year extension with the Sharks for $65 million total. Uh, the cap hit ends up coming out uh, just, just over uh, 8.13. So, like, Hurdle's been a good player, and he's had some years where he, his production was really high, and then he would get injured. And those these are two guys that are both born in 1993. Uh, Miller's a little bit older. He's like six months older. But last year, 82 games. And the Sharks are bad, but... Yep. 64 points for Hurdle. The year before, 50 games out of 56, 43 points. He has the 74 points in 77 games in 18-19, and then it was a bit up and down, and he went on, and that was the last year the Sharks were good. Uh, they made conference final. He had 15 points in 19 playoff games. He's making 8-plus. So Miller, of course, is sitting there going, uh, if he's making over 8, with everything that I've done, even if I, I don't do anything this year, I've set that bar. Yep. If he goes out and he is, again, a player that's well beyond point per game, then he must feel confident with, or at least feel confident going into negotiations with something closer to nine. Yep. And, and from everything we understand, that's not necessarily what the Canucks are going to move forward with. Yeah, I know. Then you start looking at monster numbers, right? We're talking about probably are you in the, the $60 million range, the $50 million range. Of total money, 50 for sure. 50 is where essentially Nazem Kadri is with his 7x7. Seven seven. So yeah. you're looking at a pretty big number. Now, the question I would say is with JT Miller, if I'm the agent, I'm saying, hey, yeah, this year, this year matters. But look at the sample he size. He set the bar already. Look at the sample size. It's not one year. It's not two years. You've got a few years now of being a point-per-game player. And yes, just one point shy of 100 points. How many guys across the league put up 100 points? Not many. He was... Almost there, one point shy. So if I'm the agent, I'm not looking at this year. I'm, if I'm the Canucks, you're probably you're probably saying, all right, if you get a discount if he's not a 99-point player or do you take that risk as well? Um, so JT Miller, I think he's got something to prove either way. But you know the agent will be saying, yeah, look at the larger sample size. It's not just about this season. The one name we haven't discussed yet, and I want to bring this one up because I think this situation is dramatic. Winnipeg. Yeah, the let's city, do it. The city that we rarely think about. It's time to think about them this year. Because Mark Shifley. Talking about point per game players. Yes. For and for a sample, it's like six years in a row. Yes. This guy, based on his press conference to end off the year, and there was kind of like a, I know, you know, Red, uh, sorry, there's the, uh, the Game of Thrones kind of references popping around because of yeah. the weekend. and Yeah, yeah. The Red Wedding. The re- there was kind of a red wedding feel to that press conference where their daggers rode a little bit. It was it was heavy, yeah. 
I think if you're Mark Shifley, you have to prove a few things. Point production has been there. But where do you stand on this team? Are you still a leader? Because it feels like that's being questioned in Winnipeg right now. Where when you say your long-term future, you have to kind of think about things. You have to see where this, what the plan is. I think if you're Mark Shifley, who's making a, a pretty good paycheck, you are the number one center on that team. But he's in a similar position to JT Miller, where he signed a deal, and he's produced more than JT Miller yep. over a longer period of time. He signed a deal where he feels underpaid. But he is with him, it's not necessarily... like With JT, I think it's just positive, right? There's a lot of uncertainty mm-hmm. whether he's going to be with the team. Yes. But at least with JT, it's, I want to stay here. I love these guys. And if there's a way, I want to stay here. With Mark Shifley in that end-of-season press conference, yeah. a lot of doubt where... How many guys actually want to stay here? And what is he going to prove this year? It, to me, it's about points, but it's also about, does he want to stay there? Because I think that's a massive question, not only for him, but Pierre-Luc Dubois. But he's not the only one. It's yeah, Dubois, they're... it's Blake Wheeler, and it's from comments from the general manager that he thinks this team, and look, it's quite rare for GMs to go out there and say, no, we're not going to compete, but... The, when you read between the lines from what Kevin, Kevin Cheveldayoff has said, he seems to think that they are very much in the mix and that he's also reticent at the best of times. So sometimes it is difficult to, to read into what he's trying to say. But, but based on the moves, they haven't made. And then first it was Shifley and the thought was Shifley's going to be out of town. He's got two years left on his deal. He doesn't want to play here anymore. Then the Blake Wheeler rumors started happening. And then the Pierre-Luc Dubois ones near the draft and after the draft, specifically with Montreal, totally peaked and then bumped Shifley back down to number three. But you're totally right, Randy. Like his end of season comments were like, I'm going to have to talk to them. I'm really not happy. This was BS, basically. Um, And it was was odd to me because Mark Shifley, from a perception perspective, I always thought was like hockey night would do all these features about he's Mr. Hockey. He absolutely loves the game. He watches everything. He doesn't curse. He's apparently he's the Will Smith of hockey. Yeah. He's supposed with to the be occasional cheap shot. Like Will Smith. <laughs> yeah. He'll, he'll, he'll come for your head. Yeah. yeah. He, and then when you see these comments, I was like, that it seemed totally out of character, which then leads to the question, what else is wrong in Winnipeg? A team that, I guess four or five years ago, when we were we would do this as a you know popular segment, especially at this time of year, yep. which Canadian team has the best chance to win the cup? Four or five years ago, it was Winnipeg, yep. well ahead of Toronto, well ahead of Edmonton. It was look at look at their top six. They've got the goaltending. At the time, they had you know Truba and Morrissey and, and Bufflin. Of course, Bufflin retires. They had Tyler Myers, a great great D man for the Jets at the time. They had so much depth. He was on the third pair with Kulikov. He sure was. Yeah. So that that at that point that was hey wow they got that's the, what that, he's that's that, where he should be. But that series I believe it was against Nashville if I'm not mistaken the crazy the series. Western Conference Final where was the next, semis yes because so, then they they played uh, Vegas in the in the finals right. but they had an unreal series with Nashville in the second round that was, that was a, some of the best hockey that we've seen great series and then Vegas was an, another one where it felt like that now we look back at it that was Chevaldeos opportunity that was that team's window where yeah you had Bufflin and. And I know Elliot Friedman's mentioned this as well in regards to the Winnipeg Jets, but losing Bufflin, clearly a big part of that room. No doubt. And now the microscope is out on Blake Wheeler, yep. where you're an aging star. Very he signed good. a big deal. He's 8. making 8 plus. 8.25. Yep. He was a, a player that I think in his prime, 
Underrated. Underrated. Absolutely. You know, you look at the point total. 90 plus points, incredible playmaker, five on five, power play. Uh, you know, this is a co- comparison that's been played mostly outside of Vancouver, but people would say he he dominated games like Henrik Sedin did. Yeah, and this was a guy that, you know, you look at him now, he's fallen off a cliff. Five on five, he's not there, picks up his points on the power play. That's a albatross of a contract and a big part of that room. Where does Mark Shifley fit in? Where do some of those other guys, like Pierre-Luc Dubois, like they are in a spot right now where if I'm Shifley and I'm statistically the best player on that team right now, you got a lot to prove that you're still invested. Because those comments at the end of the year, put that in doubt. Put that in doubt. All right, it is the People Show. Hit us up with your comments on that, your thoughts. Which star on a Canadian team has the most to prove this season? A couple of the ones that we discussed, Huberto, Kadri, JT Miller, Brock Besser, Jack Campbell and Mark Shifley. If you got somebody else, hit us up. We'll share them on the other side. But coming up next, we talk some NFL. Yes, the regular season is slowly coming closer, slowly nearing. We're going to talk to Matt Verderam of Fansided.com next on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the People Show. Randeep Janda, Israel Fair, on this Monday. Just going through the show. It's been an easy show. Just fun, you know, getting everybody involved in the conversation. We've been hitting a bunch of sports. Start off with the CFL in hour one. Talk some Vancouver Canucks as well. Go make sure you download the podcast. Been talking some you know, EPL sprinkling in there as well. Do an EPL review a little bit later on. But a lot about the NHL. And looking at the Pacific Division, center depth. Talked about that, where the Canucks stack up against Edmonton and Calgary. And in the last segment, we did talk about the most to prove. Which star in a Canadian team has the most to prove? A lot of suggestions coming in in a text inbox as well. We'll try to get back to those, but we want to talk some NFL now. And Matt Verderam of Fansided.com is going to join us here, but it's getting closer. We're in a position now as, you know, the NFL season is getting near. It's not too long away, at least, you know, as the weeks go on here. And some interesting developments. Uh, happy to bring in Matt right now, actually, to talk about this. How's it going, Matt? Going well. How are you guys? We're doing pretty well, and uh, we'll hit up in New Jersey Devils a little bit later on at the end of this interview. I know, I know that's uh, something I always look forward to chatting some Devils hockey with you. But it's like a threat. <laughs> yeah, don't hang up, please. Um, <laughs> Baker Mayfield named starter for Week One against the Browns. Uh, what kind of Baker are we going to see this year with Matt Rule leading him? <laughs> First of all, he was named the starter when they acquired him. True. Um, that, that's been the biggest running joke in the NFL since, since about mid June, but. You know, I think, look, ultimately for Rule, they, they've got to try to hit the ground running. This is a team where if they don't win games, this is probably it for Matt Rule. This is third year. Um, you know, they, they've not shown much progress. They started out 3-0 last year. They went 2-12 and to finish the season. I think when you look at the Panthers, Mayfield has some talent around. The big question is, can Christian McCaffrey stay healthy? How much better is that offensive line now? You put in Ikiakuano at tackle. You drafted him in the top 10. How, how much are, are, are they an improved unit? They need to be much improved. They were bad last year. And then you look, okay, you've got DJ Moore. You've got Robbie Anderson. I think Mayfield could have a pretty good year. I don't think the Panthers are an excellent team by any stretch. I think they're probably about a seven-win team. Uh, but I think Mayfield could actually have a nice bounce-back season in an offense that there are some ifs. Got to stay healthy. Got to be able to protect. But I think there's some upside as well. A team that was linked to Mayfield but ultimately didn't make a move was the the Seattle Seahawks. And uh, heading into training camp, heading into the preseason, 
uh, talk was uh, that it would take a lot for Geno Smith not to be the starter. Uh, has anything from training camp or preseason changed that, or do you imagine the Seahawks are going to start the season with Geno as a QB1? Yeah, I, mean, I think that's probably the leader in the clubhouse right now, right, that, that, that Geno's going to start and Drew Locke will back him up. Um, for Seattle, I think it's likely both guys are going to start some games this year. I, I, I just think, realistically speaking, they're probably not going to win a lot of games. And usually when you lose a lot of games, you see the other quarterback. So, you know, Mock is a guy, if you're Seattle, you want to get a look at. He's a younger guy. You've only got him for this year on the contract. And if he shows you something, maybe you bring him back on the cheap. If he shows you nothing, you know not to waste time. But I think ultimately in Seattle, you're going to see both those guys. It's probably going to be a longer season. But look, if you're, if you're Seattle – you get through these 17 games, you evaluate everybody on the roster, and the next year you have two first-round picks in a class that is loaded with quarterback prospects, and all of a sudden things seem bright again. Yeah, you look at some of those names, you know, whether it's Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, like that's the class that you get to choose from. It, it just yep. – the always-compete mentality of one Pete Carroll. Like it, I think there's a lot of fans in this area that, that have a hard time believing that Pete would kind of – you know, finish a season and the team team has less than a certain you know six or seven wins or whatever it is. It, it just it just kind of goes against the the Pete Carroll mantra to a certain extent because it does kind of feel like a team that you know without upgrading the quarterback position, dare I say, feels like they're kind of tanking with the right quarterback. But that's against Pete's mentality. I think they are though. <laughs> I mean, I think ultimately, you know, I've seen people say, "Well, they go after Jimmy Garoppolo. I, what what good does it do them?" If you're Seattle, you don't want Jimmy Garoppolo. You don't want to win six or seven games. That's 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 almost hindering yourselves for the sake of hindering yourselves. I mean, with or without Jimmy Garoppolo, they, or with or without Baker Mayfield, they're the worst team in that division. Why would you put yourselves in a position where now you're going to win a lot more games? Look, I still think you can hold true to you to who you are, and if you're, you're Schneider and Carroll, certainly it's about competing. You can still compete this year. You, you're not going to win a lot of games. But you can still have these young kids go out, the Boye Mafes, the, the Kenneth Murrays, the, the Charles Crosses. You can still compete. You can still compete and find out what you have in a lot of younger guys. Maybe some guys are in contract years. And then after this season, say, okay, look, now we know. We're good here. We're good here. We're really deficient here. And if we had a quarterback and two or three pieces – we can get back into this. One thing with the NFL, you can go from horrendous to really good in the span of a year or two. Just ask the Bengals. So I think for Seattle, this is just going to be a, a reset year, and it's going to be painful during the season, but it could, it could very well pay off here in you know, nine months or so. Tom Brady back at the Bucks facility, but um, this has been a, a rough ride for, for Tampa in terms of injuries on the offensive line and some, and some changes in general up front. How concerned are you about Tampa Bay uh, heading into this season? Concerned. Uh, I picked them, you know, on the day of the schedule release in May, I have this annual tradition where I pick every game, really to the Super Bowl, and then I get to look back and see how comically wrong I was or how incredibly right I was, and usually it's a mixture. <laughs> Um, I picked them to go to the Super Bowl because I think a lot of the top teams in the NFC, Green Bay, Tampa Bay, L.A., they're flawed. 
they're, they're, they're very teams, but they're flawed in ways I don't know that the AFC has. I mean, there's some AFC teams that are just almost, almost juggernauts. But I picked Tampa because, hey, look, they've got Brady. Everybody else has some flaws, too. I'll take Brady. But now you start looking at it, and Brady's had a very, very strange offseason. Retires, unretires. Tampering stuff with Miami. Then he takes his hiatus. Now he's back. But his center is gone. His left guard is gone. Marpet retired. I know they replaced one with Chag Mason, but you're still very weak inside. Defensively, Jason Pierre-Paul is gone, and Dominican Tua is gone. Jordan Whitehead is gone. And now Evans is dealing with his hamstring on and off in camp. Godwin, it's unclear if he's going to play to start the season. That's a lot of concerns. I mean, that, look, I think they'll win that division because while I like the Saints more than most, I don't think Jameis is beating Tom Brady out for a division title. But – do I think Tampa Bay goes maybe in my estimation for what I thought could have been, hey, you know, this could be a 12 or 13 win team. I kind of look at them now as like a 10 win team, maybe because that division an 11 win team. But it seems like a lot of things are going the wrong way for the Buccaneers early in the season. You're listening to The People Show. We're joined by Matt Verderam, fansided.com. And Matt, when we look at the NFC, let's stay on that, but let's go on the opposite side of the spectrum. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau uh, ends up getting injured. We see the MCL injury. He's going to be out for a bit. The Giants are a really interesting team this year. Uh, there's thoughts that they could be terrible this year. Like, how bad will the Giants be this year? Because it doesn't, you know, there's some enthusiasm, maybe some optimism with uh, Saquon and him looking better this year. But there's still a lot of questions on that team. Oh, there's, there's more questions than answers. I'm mm-hmm. from New York. I can tell you, I got a lot of friends back home who are Giants fans who are, who are looking to sell tickets. Um, you know, the reality is they... We talked about Seattle. They didn't find a quarterback. The Giants didn't find a quarterback. I mean, unless, unless Dable can just resurrect Daniel Jones, he's not the guy. They all know that. They're going to give him one year. They're going to try to make it work. But they, the, the problem the Giants have, they are digging out of years of Dave Gettleman, who spent money in ways that no one can understand. I mean, that Kenny Galladay contract now is a disaster. A disaster. You're trying to dig out of that. Saquon, what is he? Is he healthy? Is he not? What are you going to do with him? My guess is he's probably playing his last year as a giant. The defense, Brad Bellinger, just for cap purposes. So defensively, what do you have? I mean, Thibodeau's probably the one guy in their side to see play. They're going to be they're going to be pretty brutal this year. I would be shocked if the Giants aren't in last place in that division. On the other end of the, the league, uh, you'll find the Chiefs. And you've got a, a few tweets from recent days breaking down their play. Uh, it, it feels kind of quiet around the Chiefs because I guess we've gotten used to when Patrick Mahomes is on, he's about as good as we've ever seen. Uh, they've been playing at a high level. They've been getting a ton of wins over the last few years. There's not maybe quite the hype that there was in past years. And then there's maybe some real concern and, and some holes about uh, – just what their ceiling is. Where are you at with the Chiefs heading into this year? I think that the Chiefs are still in the upper echelon of contenders. I, I, I think they're different. Uh, I've compared them in recent days to they were a blockbuster film where you have two or three stars that fill up the marquee and then everybody else kind of sold in. Now they're kind of like an ensemble. They're kind of like Friends or Seinfeld where it's all these different pieces and everybody's got to kind of share equally in this. Now, of course, look, that is to some degree relative. I mean, Mahomes is going to be still at the top of the marquee here. But the one thing you could overlook with them, they have a great offensive line. And when you have that good of an offensive line, 
in front of a quarterback like that, if your receivers are even decent, and they certainly are good, even without Hill, and they have great tight ends, you're going to score a lot of points. If, you're just, if he's got three seconds to throw the ball, it's over. He's completing it to somebody. And they've got Andy Reid. They've got Eric Bieniemy. Defensively, you know, they're very young. I wrote my column about them over Fanside today where 20, 25 and under, seven of their starters. So they're very, very young defensively. There's two other guys who are 26 years old. So it's a, it's a young group. George Karloftis, Trent McDuffie, both first-round picks, both starters, both look very good in preseason. I think that they will get better as the season goes on defense. I think there's a lot of upside. But I think early the offense might have to carry them. I think the Bills are the best team in football. I think Kansas City's about a quarter to a half step behind them. Staying in that division, the Vegas Raiders, there's, there's a lot of buzz in Vegas. You know, even having friends that have season tickets of the, the Vegas Raiders, it feels like ticket prices have skyrocketed this year just based on the Devontae Adams acquisition and, and their optimism around that team. How much pressure is on Derek Carr this year? A lot, but I think it's shared. I mean, there's a lot of pressure on that whole team. They have won a playoff game since 2002. I mean, this is an organization that used to win playoff games every year. And they have been, I guess, the, the decline where to be struggling for the last two decades. They just haven't won many many games at all. And so, you know, now they, they finally get to the playoff last year. They had the Cinderella run. They get in. They played the Bengals reasonably tough. They fall at the end of the game. But now you start looking at it. And I think you have to say, if you're being honest, look, the expectations are you get a, you get a playoff run. I mean, the minimum. I think the Raiders' problem is going to be defensively. I just look at the Raiders – and other than those edge rushers, who do you have? I just think in that division, you better be able to cover somebody. And the Raiders' secondary, I think, is going to be their Achilles heel all season long. But I do think Carr is going to have a great year. I think Carr is going to put up career numbers. I just don't know if it's enough to something. I think it's going to be a defense that really struggles off the field. All right, Matt, thank you very much for joining us again, and uh, hope to uh, chat again soon. Anytime. Thanks, there, Matt. There he is, Matt Verderam, fanside.com. And the Raiders, like, they're in a tough, tough division, right? But there is an expectation that you're competing for potentially a playoff spot here. Like, with the Chiefs, with the Broncos, the Chargers, who have a lot of hype on them as well with Justin Herbert. For sure. It's a tough year to take a leap for the Raiders because there are gaps in that roster, as Matt mentions. But when you go after a, a high-profile wideout, like Devontae Adams, mm-hmm. you're not okay with not being a playoff team. They go back to no, Fresno that's State. The goal. Like they, as tough as it is in that division, like if they come behind the Chargers, who I, I think are a damn good team, and they've upgraded their defense, adding Khalil Mack to all of that, you know that side of the ball. You're the Raiders, man. Like you, you got to take steps this year. Being in the basement, even even third place is a d- disappointment. Yeah, like, and of, of course, Denver is not exactly trading for Russell Wilson and going, we're, we're not going to make the playoffs. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, man, that's cringe. So I was, I was in Europe when that came out. Well done. That's right. Oh, no. oh man, it's so bad. Does that, does that make you miss him, though? Corniness. No. Seahawks fans loved his corniness before, no, did they not? No, 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 You, you. Like, I acknowledge the corniness, but always said he's the most fun player I've ever watched. I take the press conferences and stick them somewhere else. Now they're in Denver. Stick them in Denver. Burn them, as but Kevin like, Garnett it, once said. It was like, 
it didn't make sense that he was that guy, let's ride guy. Yeah, and then that's right. <laughs> on the field was amazing. Doesn't that sound like the Kool Aid guy? It kind of does. Right? Can we get that one more time? Yeah, that's right. We, oh, yeah. it totally. Can does. we get that with like? Oh you know, yeah, and just breaking breaking the, the wall. <laughs> yeah, let's like, compare. Oh. Maybe that's an exercise for the next hour. <laughs> <laughs> we know who's uh, his motivation or his like his. That's what he's doing before press. He's watching like the Kool Aid Man on YouTube. Classic commercials, man. Um, yeah, the Broncos they got questions as well. But when you go after that quarterback, like you got Mahomes, you got Russ, you got Herbert, and you got Derek Carr. Like Derek Carr is a good quarterback, mm-hmm. but when you're in that conversation, it's a tough one to win. It's a tough one. Herbert's going to get his love because he. we've seen what we've seen. The guy's a special talent. Yeah. He can do things outside the pocket as well that you kind of shake your head and say, look at that arm strength, look at that accuracy. This guy's special. For sure. He hasn't hit that ceiling yet, no. which is a scary part. But if you're Derek Carr, you're saying, all right, probably going to come four out of four on that conversation. That's tough, man. But you got a weapon now. You got a weapon that you had unbelievable chemistry with in college. Mm-hmm. Can you maximize that? And I mentioned to Matt as well, you know, Vegas ticket prices are really high this year. Last year, they were kind of on-off. But this year, the hype heading into this year is real. Yeah. How do you come out of that division in a playoff spot? I just don't see it. And I know Silver and Black Canuck, who is our resident Raiders fan on the Texan box, not happy with Matt's take on the Raiders. <laughs> wants to hear his thoughts on what they can do to fix the O-line. But it's a tough division to be in. Like, if they're in a different division, yeah, there's an easier road to get to the playoffs. But... That's not the case here. Yeah, and there's like there's t- the Chargers are the most hyped team in the division. Yeah, I think Denver's probably second just for the Russell Wilson factor, and the Chiefs who have won pretty much as many games as any team in the last three or four years, and won a Super Bowl in that in that run. And when Patrick Mahomes is playing like he can, which last year was more up and down than had been the past two years before that, there seemed to be sort of sliding under the radar. But if they won 13 games this year, no one would be surprised. And then the Raiders are okay. Are the Raiders really going to win double digits? I know they've been close. And they've sniffed around with this group and with Derek Carr as quarterback, but like that's that's a pretty big jump from being a team that if they won eight or nine games, they're a five hundred team. You say, yeah, that makes sense. Can they really win twelve games? And I know that they did it fairly recently, but it's not like they're coming off of a season where they did that. Whereas the Chiefs just con- consistently winning a bunch of games. Raiders fans have that to be stressed about, but they also have this to be stressed about. This past weekend, Dana White spoke. And one of the more polarizing people in sports. He's, he's got opinions. So during a broadcast, Dana White, on the UFC 278 post-fight press conference, this is what, this is what they talked about. About the Raiders making a... Potentially getting Tom Brady and Gronkowski yep. uh, a few years back. When he ended up going to Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. there was actually, this is what Dana White says. I don't want to talk about it, but you <laughs> kind of sort of sucked me you know, into talking this about, uh, about this on live TV. Here's the quote. It's true. I talked Brady into playing for the Raiders and Gronk was coming with him. And they were negotiating a deal. They were really close to getting it done. Then Gruden pulled the deal. Brady was not happy about it, and neither was I. That's it. He went to Tampa Bay and won the Super Bowl. So apparently, according to Dana White, and Gronk was sitting there with him. It's believable. Like, Gronk was there and pretty much 
through his actions, and I might have actually said, yep, that's the truth. Although, uh, Gronk, he might not know where he is a lot of times, you know? Yeah, but, like, I don't think he's going to go along with, like, yeah, I'm gonna, if this story's fake, I'm just going to go ahead. Like, he drama's might, one thing. You think so? He might not have known where he was. Like, he might have been daydreaming about whatever Gronk daydreams. One of his boat cruises that he That's uh, a good wrong answers only. What does Gronk daydream about? <laughs> All those wrong answers might be the right answer. So that's, <laughs> that's the ironic thing here. Can you imagine that, though? Like, hey, Tom Brady's coming. He's leaving New England. He mm-hmm. wants to come to your team. What do you think? This is the same guy that said okay to Antonio Brown. Said no to Tom Brady. Oh, yeah. If you think but, about it that way. See, so, I mean, John Gruden at this point is persona non grata in the NFL, and there's good reasons for that. But yep. at that time, he had a 10-year contract, the biggest coaching contract ever. He was the man. You bring Tom Brady in, you're not the man anymore. And maybe he realized that. He's got a yeah. Super Bowl already, yeah. right? So it's not like he's a coach that was coaching for that legacy hit. And the coach on that, sorry, the quarterback on that team was what? Brad, Brad Johnson. Johnson. So it so wasn't he, exactly a huge ego. That's the thing. So he's, he's John Gruden, from what we understand, probably has a healthy ego on him. He, I won a Super Bowl with Brad Johnson. Forget the defense had like five Hall of Famers. He won a Super Bowl. He's the quarterback guru. He won a Super Bowl with Brad Johnson. He's not try, I'm sure he's a competitive guy. He's trying to win the Super Bowl. But it it's fascinating when you like you hear this about um, the best players in the league or in, in sports, they want to be the ones. They want to be the reason that you win, that they win. Like yeah, okay, so you hear um, Hall of Fame type players that will go to a team late in their career or they'll get hurt and their team will win the title. They'll get a ring, sure, but yeah. they want to be the reason for it. And I I would bet that John Gruden went. I want to be the reason that we win and. If Tom Brady comes here, it's going to be all Tom Brady because he's a guy who has the winning reputation that very few players in the history of the NFL have had. And even if you could give him credit for, hey, this guy got Tom Brady to come here to a team that, as Matt said, hasn't won a playoff game since 2002, that's how I would think. But I could I could see John Gruden going, I want to win with Derek Carr because I'll get the credit. Yeah, he, I'm the smart one. And if Brady comes here, he's getting all the credit because he, he's Tom Brady. He's a different cat. We know Tom Brady's a different cat. But if you're a Raiders fan, and we got B. Warren coming in from Coquitlam saying, keep the Raiders out your mouth. All right? So the, the, the Raiders fans are not happy right now. But the fact is, if you're a Raiders fan, like, as a Dolphins fan, I can relate. This is a team that went after Peyton Manning. Missed. Mm-hmm. They actually took Dante Culpepper instead of Drew Brees. Yes, famously. Which, which will never be lived down, and it should should they not. Be. They didn't like the medical. They didn't like the shoulder. Uh, was pretty fine in New Orleans, where he had led them to a Super Bowl win. But the fact is, the swings and misses—you regret those. You think back at those. So the Raiders got to live through that right now. But you never know. Derek Carr this year with Devontae Adams—can he? Can he do it? I'm doubtful in that division. But you never know. That's why they play the game, and those folks. games will be fun. Those divisional oh, games for sure. are going to be awesome. At least the atmosphere in Vegas, especially, especially in Vegas, those games, is a wild one. So looking forward to those games. Let's see how long those Vegas Raiders can stay competitive. Is it all year long, or is the confidence kind of you know start fleeting in that division? Because you are playing with some heavyweights in the toughest division in football. It is the People Show, Randeep Janda, Israel Fair. Join in on the conversation, 650-650. It's getting real, Izzy. The beef in the AL East is getting real. We're going to bring in our conversation about the Blue Jays and the Yankees. Manoa versus Cole. Discuss that next. EPL review coming up as well in the next hour right here on The People Show.